This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Hardcore is a new series from Heritage Radio Network. Over six episodes, we're taking a close look at the rebirth of American cider. Really, it wasn't until about 10 years ago that cider started to be revitalized in the United States. From the science of fermentation. So yeast, it's a fungus. It's a unicellular fungus. To the magic of terroir. What really excites us is thinking about communicating that very sort of spiritual aspect of knowing a piece of land. We're setting aside our cider donuts to gain a deeper understanding of this singular beverage. I love a cider donut. You don't have to have a cider donut with your cider, and I will die on that point. Subscribe to Hardcore wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Cynthia Cherish Malloran, Reverend and DJ Cherish the Love, and you are listening to Primary Food on Heritage Radio Network. Before I forget, let me tell you how to reach out to me and get my attention on social media, Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at DJ Cherish the Love, and that is spelled L-U-V, and hashtag using primary food, heritage underscore radio, and hashtag RevLove. The content of today's podcast may be mentally, emotionally, and physiologically provocative. Listeners should be reminded to stay present, especially if listening while driving or operating machinery. Today's podcast is a follow-up to our previous episode of Primary Food, entitled Ube Killing It with Charmaine Parcero, Cafe 86's Ginger Lim Dimapasok, and Maharlika and Jeepney's Nicole Ponseca. Today's episode, entitled Kintsugi, is a continuation, and I brought back on air Nicole Ponseca. In a follow-up to her question, what were the most transformative challenges, events, or circumstances in your life that you've had to overcome? So, Nicole, who's with me here, hey, how are you? Hi. My answer was in regards to Filipino self-identity, but you mentioned true, yeah, I'd survived cancer. Mm. But there are also other major events in my life that I've survived, domestic violence, accidents, bodily injury, and I've experienced a great deal of trauma in my life. I've dated an alcoholic, that relationship got pretty violent, physically, verbally, and I hid it because of shame. What's the Tagalog term? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that was a thing, you know, until much later on in my life, and I realized that I was very much living in that bubble of shame, and I kept things to myself. And even worse, in that relationship, I protected him, and I lost complete sense of myself and value for myself and my well-being. And it didn't help that my Filipino mom taught me how to be an awesome martyr. Mm. So, and Nicole, I think you can relate in personal life and professional life. What have your experiences in growing and trauma in personal and business been like for you? Mm. Well, I'm now 43 years old, and I feel really good. I'm still understanding a lot of things about the mind, um, mental health, what it means to be whole. 
boundaries, all of that. But that's been, you know, a whole life journey with the last three years and even the last year super concentrated on that. So what is it that I've been healing from? And what is it that um, was part of my story? Well, I was molested at a very young age, uh, started getting groomed, as I call it, and as I think Oprah Winfrey calls it as well, getting groomed very early on from age three and going into age eight, pretty much Monday to Friday, 3 p.m. like clockwork. So that has been a lot. And then uh, surviving domestic abuse in a previous relationship. How has that affected your career as a restaurateur and your insights on how to be the boss woman that you are? Oh, wow. Well, I mean, those experiences aside, I, I don't know how who I would have been without those experience. I only have the life in which I'm living in, in this current state. So I don't know how it might have been different, but I can say that I find people who go through trauma and assess it, if they can assess it and access it, have a different way to empathize with people. There's sometimes a seriousness to them. I think that I struggle with being a woman at times, you know, what is that voice? But as a, as a domestic abuse survivor and a, and a child of molestation, I think that now I understand boundaries in a way I never understood before. I was always a very jovial and kind kid, but now I understand how you have to listen to your inner voice and vocalize and create boundaries with people. And do you find that when you say with people, not just within relationships interpersonally, but also on the job, in the restaurant industry? Is it, is it a tough space? Is it, That's is it right. a, a boundary? Right. So the thing about working in the restaurant industry is that it is the hospitality business. So I'm very accustomed to bending over backwards or finding ways to please people. My guests, at times my staff, whatever I can do to go the distance and that doesn't leave a lot by way of saying no, putting yourself first. And so I think that it's pretty rampant in the restaurant industry, mental health issues, the kind of health insurance we have access to, pay grades, the way we blow off steam by having drink or drinks, you know, all of that contributes not to the healthiest of lifestyles or lifestyle choices. I don't think I'm any different than a lot of people in the restaurant industry. My story is individual to me, but I think who doesn't have some sort of trauma? But in the restaurant industry particularly, it is, uh, we don't know how to say no. Well, it sounds like you might be looking past the restaurant industry in your career and your life now. Yes. So in all this journey, the last three years, working in the restaurant industry for 20 years, hustling, being in New York City, right now I feel really excited about the future and, and choices I can make. And part of that is really streamlining my career and really harnessing time and energy and what I want to do. Part of that is living outside of New York, part-time in California. I'm a Cali girl. And uh, I hope to live bi-coastally here in New York to help run the businesses with my team, but really explore what's out there in Cali. You know, I don't want to do the mom and pop restaurateur gig anymore. It is really, it, it's, it's a hustle I don't want to do. 
I'd love to use whatever experience I have and whatever platform and credibility I have to partner up with, I don't know, maybe there's a, there's a restaurant team in the Bay that has, you know, some years underneath their belt that want to take it to the next level. I'd love to work with them. I'd love to collaborate. I'd love to exchange ideas. I'm, I'm really jazzed about building a team that way. And it sounds like you're also actively seeking collaborators <laughs> yeah. for entertainment even. Yes. Yeah, so, so what does that look like? You know, when we talked about a week and a half ago, we did this podcast and it felt very natural for me. It felt natural to expose ideas and exchange thoughts and hopefully be some sort of beacon for listeners out there, whatever you're doing, just to engage. I love storytelling and I'm really fascinated by the fact that we are such a rich culture of laughter and of religion and dichotomies and sexualities that I think that not only Filipinos, but I think that there's such a, there's a crowd out there that's going to be really entertained and curious about who we are. You've been telling amazing stories about the restaurant industry that I find really fascinating, especially when you've said to me that the restaurant industry, it looks glamorous, but it's really more a blue collar job. Yeah. So, you know, let's, let's retrace food network. I think it started popping around like the year 2000 and then you have Emerald, bam, 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 Bourdain, Zimmer. It's a, it became competition shows and travel. And who doesn't want to do that? Who doesn't want to be, uh, in a river in, in Vietnam eating prawns and exploring, I mean, and, and reaching new cultures. It's so, it's so enticing. And the kitchen life, too, you know, it's fast-paced, it's entertainment, it's uh, the behind-the-scenes, it's the craziness, it's the immediate gratification of cooking food and being in the heat and serving it to people and having them smile. It's, it's wonderful. It's not glamorous. And I'm, I know that there's many other shows and podcasts and people who are talking about this, but it glamorizes it to the extent that so many people go to culinary school wanting to be a chef until they realize, wow, I have to start off at what dollar an hour? And it's this physically taxing? And what? So I just, I don't want to shit on anyone's dream. If you want to do it, do it. But I'd love for people to have just a better idea of what they're getting into. How many years have you been in the restaurant world? Mm. I'll just shortcut this. I was in advertising. I was uh, an ad exec at Saatchi and Saatchi and then made my way through into different agencies and production companies. My last gig was as a VP of business development with Steve Dickstein over at Partisan. It was a commercial production company and he was getting into branded entertainment. All the while, no one knew that I was working in restaurants. So in 1998, I had this idea of pushing Filipino culture forward. I didn't know how to do that. I thought, okay, it's going to be food. So you could calculate 99, around that era, 2000, um, 98 beginning. I led a double life. I was an ad exec by day. And uh, I started dishwashing, hosting, and working in different restaurant gigs at night. I mean, it's really a movie. It's, it's a film, for sure. And in that film, hmm. which is... <laughs> <laughs> a whole lot of chapters. I mean, obviously, the story you want to tell isn't just the traumatic experiences and the traumatic relationships. What's the story you want to tell at this point? I would love to tell a story about a different shade of brown that has pursued a dream, a different narrative, a, a different face, 
I want to say you can do what's possible. I mean, it sounds so hokey, but my dream was literally to kick the door open for Filipino food and culture so that it would encourage other entrepreneurs to populate their cities with Filipino restaurants and have the food world take notice and take it seriously. And when I built my business plan, I more or less have checked everything off, which is why I'm, I'm looking to see what's next, because I, I did everything I wanted to do. But how do we move forward when we haven't healed or started to really process those traumatic experiences, whether we've experienced violence or gaslighting mm -hmm. or things that you've told me about who haven't dealt with anger? Mm. I can't say I really know how to deal with anger. Do you? Um, I, um, there's really great and positive ways to deal with anger. It's to process it. It's to know that it's there. It's to not ignore it. You know, you, you get ticked off. It's, it's natural. What do you do? You, you can burn it off in the gym or in another room. You can uh, paint, you can write, you can talk to your friend. I mean, there's different ways and mediums to express whatever emotion that you're having. I think the key point, and I'm no professional, but I think the key point is to address it and access it and explore it. If you're getting triggered, I love triggers. I recently experienced something that I had never experienced before. It was surfacing thoughts about romance and, and you know, I explored that. I, I thought, what, what's going on here? Instead of projecting it onto a potential mate, I, I was like, this is about me. And it was really cool. I'm really, I felt really mature and um, loving to myself about it. Instead of, you know, dragging someone into it. I think a lot of people do that in relationships. They, uh, they, they drag their, their significant other through their emotions and it's, it's taxing. And that ties into a theme that we've talked about before, which is total personal responsibility. What does that mean to you? And, and how does that relate to your relationship experiences and so on? I wish I could be profound and I wish that I had some sort of canned answer that I have been marinating on because it's such a wonderful question. But I do know this. You are 100% responsible for your life and your health and the people that you choose to have surround you. And while those people around you might also have tough times and you're there for them, uh, it's that fine line between taking them down and taking you down. And how do you address that and still have respect for yourself and for them and, and process it and go forward? Sometimes that means we're no longer friends, we're no longer a couple, we're no longer anything, but I love you and I respect you and it's time to go. Or other times it's, it's working it out together, but I know there's no one more to blame. I've been molested, sexually assaulted. I have been punched in the face, left to bleed. But if I held on to those feelings surrounding that, I don't know, it's, um, I, I take responsibility for my life now. That's so profound. And in finding our healing, because in, in my experience, and for those who are listening, if, if this is sparking some kind of awareness for you, where you might be experiencing something like that in your personal life, I mean, why do we hide the evidence? Why does this even happen? How do we end up here? I mean, there's so many questions, so, so many questions. And I'm sure, listeners, you have questions, too, and might be surprised about the topic for today, but this is rampant. This is rampant. The more I talked about my experience, was almost 10 years ago, in domestic violence, so many women around me and some men spoke up about what they were experiencing behind closed doors. 
So is that why you want to talk about this? Because you know that people hear you and they're like, wow, if you can talk about it, I can talk about it too? It's a mixed bag. It's only been lately. I have not talked about anything really throughout my whole life. I've kept everything to myself. Um, I've talked a little bit about molestation because I know what it's like to not have someone look like you, talk like you, uh, have similar background, and you just feel more and more isolated and alone, and that diminishes any kind of hope. Sometimes I feel really empowered by it. I, get st- I, I always feel stronger after doing it, but there is some sort of nakedness and vulnerability that I was like, God, it's too much. But I feel when I push myself, I really do get stronger. I do get sometimes embarrassed or, you know, vulnerable and like, oh my, it's really too much. But when I come back to me, I know it's, it's for the best. Why is that piece of looking like you and sounding like you so important in opening up? For me, growing up, I only had like Irene Cara and then later on Tia Carrera. There might have been one or two newscasters. And if they were brown, they might have been Puerto Rican, Chinese, whatever. It was just at least someone, Connie Chung. I was like, wow, there's someone else out there because the mind works in mysterious ways. I need to see visualization in order for me to think that things are possible. Now, that could come through reading and then using my imagination to see what's possible or physically seeing the embodiment of success or triumph. And there's no one there for me. That's when I started raising my hand. And I continue to raise my hand because then it encourages me and then I'm I'm guessing it's going to encourage someone else. Well, for sure it is, because people then say, me too. Mm. And then they get to open up and then stop delaying the healing in their life. And oh, yes. Delay. Can we marinate on the Delay the healing. Listen, we only are given X amount of years in our lifetime. Right. And, and we don't know how many years that is. And I'm not about delaying my healing anymore. Are you? Oh, no. <laughs> and I think this is a great segue to bring on a guest that we have on the line, licensed clinical psychologist Jeannie Celestial, to help unpack it all with us and to shine some light, spark some awareness, wake some folks up and get on that healing track. Jeannie, are you with us? Yes, I am. Hi, Jeannie. So Jeannie Celestial is a licensed clinical psychologist from the San Francisco Bay Area. She's the chair of the Philippinex Mental Health Initiative, Solano, part of a larger movement to normalize seeking mental health support in the Philippinex community. Jeannie is also a co-author of the Filipino Instant Pot Cookbook, available now on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and select brick-and-mortar bookstores. Jeannie, or Dr. Celestial, facilitates weekly women's empowerment psychotherapy groups and monthly Filipino mental health support groups. Thank you so much for being on the line with us. Thank you. Um, I feel so profoundly honored to be here today with you, particularly strong, resilient warriors that you both are, and also the alignment in our values. As we have been preparing for this time, I've noticed how we are all intentional, and to borrow from the word you guys were just talking about, being more responsible for nurturing the primary foods in our lives. So I'm just so excited to be here. We're going to go into a deep dive for real, right, Nicole? Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about responsibility. <laughs> I don't know how to do anything else. I really would like to get this real. Is true. We're going to talk about self-responsibility, resiliency, healing. And again, listeners, I would like to remind you to please stay present, especially if you're listening while driving or operating machinery. 
we're about to get really into the deep topics here. So perhaps, Jeannie, you can, you can start us off by getting us a little bit grounded. Grounding is similar to mindfulness. However, um, I want folks to stay in the present moment instead of trailing off into relaxation mode. I want folks to stay open and alert. So keep your eyes open and, and alert and just check in with your senses. Throughout this podcast, we may talk about issues that may trigger a traumatic memory or an intrusive thought. And we want folks to stay present during this time. So shall we, DJ Cherish, just do some grounding now? Absolutely. Keeping your eyes open, remaining alert. Just check in with yourself, your senses, without judging them. Let's focus briefly on touch and sound. Mm. Notice your breath as it's coming in your nose and out your mouth. Checking in with yourself. Notice the temperature of the air in the room. Maybe the air is cooler as you inhale, slightly warmer as you exhale. Notice your legs on the chair in which you're seated. The chair is strong enough to uphold your body. Just allow yourself to be present on the chair. Notice your feet and your shoes. You might want to wriggle your toes. Just notice how that feels. And now let's rub our hands together. And just notice your own skin and bones in your hands. Notice the sound that that makes when you rub them together. You're here. You are here now. In this present moment, you are alive. Oh, thank you for that, Dr. Celestial. I think that those of us who have experienced trauma in our lives don't often take time to do that, to get grounded or to just chill out for a second because we're always on high alert. Or mm -hmm. I don't know what to call it, but because that's the nature of trauma, right? I mean, maybe... Maybe you can give us a clinical definition of or help us understand what trauma is. Yeah, sure. The trouble with the word trauma, um, when mental health gets popularized, it, it has its pros and cons, right? One of the pros is that people become more aware of what these issues are. And then a con or a negative side effect might be that people start throwing around terms as if they're... Um, you know, very loosely. And, and so when we talk about trauma in the clinical sense, the textbook definition is when one is exposed to a serious stressor that threatens serious injury or death or sexual violence. And by direct exposure, we mean experiencing it yourself, first person, witnessing it, or learning that a relative or a close friend was exposed to it. Chef Nicole had asked, what about being repeatedly exposed to reminders of it? And we'll talk more about that. That's a great point. Those are actual symptoms of the trauma. Yeah, and you know what's so interesting? As you were reading that list, in my mind I was going, check, 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 mm. check. And, and then it was an accomplishment list that I 
immediately didn't feel proud of. Even mm-hmm. though there's no reason for me to not yeah. feel not proud or anything like that. Mm-hmm. What, what is that? What is that coming from? Is that that shame? Thing again, yes. I guess. Well, you know, th- those are good points because, you know, as human beings, we, um, we respond to trauma in certain ways. And then as particular human beings, what's layered on top are our diversity factors. And so you both had talked about hia or shame. And I honestly see all the different aspects that we have in our cultures, whether Filipino or non-Filipino, as adaptive. So shame, it served a purpose for a certain place and time. So if we come from a collectivistic culture, hia serves a purpose. It helps us be harmonious with one another. But where shame can get in our way is if we're operating in a bicultural or multicultural environment, and then it it stops us from being our true self. Mm. I have just been thinking about it in my clinical practice, because oftentimes we get so angry about the ways our parents have raised us. But I'm also trying to see the adaptive ways our parents parented us with no guidebook, you know, coming here from another country and just winging it, basically, Mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. do the best that they could to help us to be successful. So while we need to acknowledge how that might have hurt us, I would also like us to look at the strengths of how that made us who we are today. I love that you're pointing that out because I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, you know, and who is perfect, just addressing that, you know, one of the reasons why I have a relationship with my mom now is because I can see her as a human. I just really thank you for saying that. And there's so much beauty in all the experiences, the perception of good or bad, whatever, there's value to it. So thank you for addressing the humanity in, in our experience. Shame served a purpose for me, for sure. I think about mm. it now, as you said that, and I think for me, it was protective, but then it became damaging. Yeah. The, the dichotomy of that is fascinating because when we're able to talk about it like this in this adult fashion and not judging each other or, or looking at each other with pity, mm-hmm. and we can just talk about what has happened because we all want the greater good, which is to heal and to move forward. Yeah, I don't and, want the, the pity part. Mm. There's no pity party here. Definitely There not. might have been one in the midst of it, but... You know, just getting some sympathy because I was so alone or just acknowledgement, which is why I'm so happy that when Doc read off what is trauma, if someone's listening to that, it was what Cherish said. It's a checklist of what trauma is. Threatened or serious injury or death. Actual or threatened. Actual or threatened. Actual or threatened. Which means if you feel it, it is real. Whether it came to your face in a, in a hand or to your body, or if you were perceiving it in your intuition. All of those are traumatic experiences. Right, Doc? You guys had talked about gaslighting, and I think that's also a term that may be nebulous to people, Mm -hmm. um, but it's a very real thing. It's, It's not a clinical term per se, but it does mean something, and that is psychological manipulation meant to make the victim question their own reality. Can I get up and leave the room right now? Or like, I need to stand up. I'm bringing the mic with me. I can't sit down. It's that I just had like a, a reaction to that. Like I needed to stand because... Good. I'm glad you took care of yourself. Yes, thank you. The idea of gaslighting is, was so real. It was as if someone was erasing my memory or the reality or the seriousness of what happened. 
you need to give us some examples, I think, because <laughs> I'm a little bit unclear. Wow. So for someone who's yeah. listening, and we're hearing yeah. gaslighting left and right, especially because of politics. Yes. So what's an example in the home? It can be as mild. And the, the perpetrator or the abuser, they may be doing this consciously or unconsciously. It could be so part of their personality that they project blame on others. So is it's that like, like I mm-hmm. experienced something and that other person says, no, you didn't? Or Yes, uh, exactly. Well, that was, you know, that was years of my life. <laughs> or or mm-hmm. what's the big deal? It was, I said mm-hmm. sorry. Mm-hmm. Or what's mm-hmm. the big deal? It, it's done. What's the big yes. deal? I, I bought you something. Mm. <laughs> I mean, that just sounds so... I mean, that stuff lands so deeply in you and in your mind and in your heart and in your cells and creates that scar. I like to call it sometimes for myself because then I, I don't know what else to call it. How do we recover from that and learn to trust people again and move forward? Yeah, that's a good question. May I talk about the, because what you guys are talking about are part of the symptoms of how we might identify the different trauma in us. Oh, sure, please. And I think it's important at this point. When we experience trauma, not everyone develops full-blown PTSD. So I don't want listeners to think, oh my God, I experienced this, now I have PTSD. Post-traumatic stress disorder. Yes, exactly. Less than 10% of the population will experience PTSD in their lifetime. So not everyone gets PTSD from various traumas. In U.S. and Canada, 6 to 9% of people will develop PTSD in their lifetime. Can I say one thing, Doc? Yes. One thing I uncovered in therapy once is I realized this is an analogy. People can be in the same car in a car accident, right? Yes. And that car can get pummeled. And someone can be in the front seat and the airbag is there and they can walk away scot-free and just have a jovialness to it almost and be like, wow, I survived. Wasn't that fucking nuts? And keep going. There's someone who can have broken bones, a head injury, and, and be left in a coma. What I'm trying to say here is that that car accident is a traumatic experience. And depending on where you sat, how the car was hit, who was sitting beside you, did you have your seatbelt on, you will receive that car accident in a plethora of ways. And I think that is what we're talking about here in, in, in this specific example, how people can sometimes have post-traumatic stress disorder and some not. That's a great analogy about how there's a continuum of responses to trauma, even the same trauma. Responses can range from momentary, like they only last a few moments and people just shake it off, to temporary, to more lasting or chronic. You know, uh, clinically, we say that if you're experiencing trauma symptoms and it's impairing your functioning in life and it lasts less than a month, that's called acute stress disorder. If it's more prevalent and more lasting one month or more, it can develop into either trauma or stressor-related disorder or post-traumatic stress disorder. So recovery and actual developing a disorder that affects your daily functioning, it hinges on various factors like pre-existing protection. 
protective factors, and I think, Nicole, you're like kind of hinting to that, such as having a resilient personality mm-hmm. or good social support or strong spirituality, etc. What is your attitude towards help-seeking? You know, does the survivor recognize they need help and seek it out? Or do their loved ones recognize their suffering and facilitate them getting help? Mm. Or if survivors consciously or unconsciously repress or push aside the trauma, when they do that, it does tend to fester. It does tend to haunt us and develop what's called the sequelae of trauma or the consequences of trauma. You know, Chef Nicole, when she spoke in San Francisco a couple weeks ago, she said trauma that is not transformed is transmitted. And I I believe that's an offshoot of, there's a Franciscan friar named Richard Rohr. He said, pain that is not transformed is transmitted. So when we don't deal with the trauma, it, it tends to fester and grow. I'd like to say the people that have transgressed uh, against me, I don't know the term. I, I said that because I remember my prayers, you know, as a child. Mm. Those yes. who have transgressed against me, I, I don't. I don't necessarily hate them either. I I have, mm-hmm. even in the midst, I was like, what pains or experiences are you transmitting to me? Why are you doing this? You know, because I knew then, too, that I don't think anyone purposely wants to hurt people. I'm sure that there are, I, I think that there are very malicious people, but I think on the whole, I don't think people are, are wanting to build themselves upon inflicting pain. That's so fascinating, because I think the person I was with really wanted to hurt me, actually. I do, I do think there is a percentage of people that do, for sure. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry for that. And I'm sure that that's really painful to access. But to this Richard Rohr, this Franciscan friar, who said pain is not transformed, is transmitted, I, I still question what, what pains. And in this Me Too moment, too, I, I'm so proud of what's going on with women speaking out. Then the part two is, why was it happening in the first place? What, what, mm. what power and pains are you inflicting on others that has not been transformed? You're just mm. transmitting it. This conversation is so awesome because <laughs> it just helps me. I've talked about it with my therapist for years, and I didn't realize that I was harboring these. Doc, you tell me if this was real PTSD or not, or I don't know what to call it. Like For example, I would see this particular person's model automobile like their particular mm. type of car and yes. I would shake yes for yes. about oh. four years but mm-hmm. about three years I didn't realize that I was shaking until I started to realize mm. that every time I saw that type of car I was terrified he was in it and it was yes. near me so when yes. I started talking about in therapy and I said something and I was like you know what telling my therapist this sounds ridiculous but I'm afraid of this car and she was so compassionate and listening to me about Mm. it and I said oh my god I'm not crazy and I really needed to get to that point but no one had told me ahead of time please say that it was like Mm, it just seemed in my head ridiculous you're afraid of a car Mm -hmm. you've experienced so much in this life and you're afraid of a car but I couldn't put that to words it was just feelings it was just yeah. I mean, this is a popular model car, too, so I'm saying and I would see it many times in a week, but it became such a regular occurrence. And I felt like that triggering feeling was just part of my, quote, healing, but I wasn't healing until I realized right. I'm afraid of that thing. Mm-hmm. And that yes. was profound. You know, it manifested in me in that way and in a few different other ways, but that one was very interesting to me because it seemed so silly in my head. 
So not silly. It's not silly, right? Whatever you're feeling, I think that's the key point. None of it is silly. How else does trauma manifest and what does it look like? What are symptoms? Definitely. So you gave us a great story about what's called a traumatic reminder. So that falls under the category of intrusions and avoidance. So intrusions are intrusive thoughts or feelings that come upon you, they just kind of sneak up upon you and cause you to re-experience the stressor. So these can be unwanted upsetting memories, like you see the car and then you're remembering the abuse or being yelled at in the car or being mm-hmm struck in the car, Mm -hmm. or it may come into your sleep. One might have nightmares or bad dreams. Flashbacks is a common word used in today's culture, but it actually means when you have a flashback and you feel like you're actually reliving it in that moment. Mm. One might become emotionally distressed. When you see a car or traumatic reminder, your heart starts beating, your palms are sweating, you know, your stomach feels sick, you get chills, you feel cold, your body is physiologically reacting to the traumatic reminder, physical and emotional reactivity to traumatic reminders. And that car story very much illustrated that. And then because we have these intrusions, we might avoid, we want to avoid things that remind us of the trauma. People, places, things, thoughts, or feelings We want to avoid feeling upset, so we don't go out, we don't go to parties, we don't go to places we might see the perpetrator, so we avoid things. Absolutely. Um, I even avoided buying that model car. (laughs) I mean, that's entire brand, which is a huge brand, and I I would not go near that dealer. It got generalized. It was incredible. I have to Mm -hmm. say, so for the listeners out there, we're looking at a piece of paper that is listing the symptoms of trauma, and there's three Mm -hmm. categories, intrusions, the doc just talked about, avoidance, persistent negative thoughts or feelings, and hyperarousal, which I hope we go into. I just have to say avoidance was my my thing. I think even hightailing it to New York was my way of avoiding Mm. seeing my multiple Mm. perpetrators. I'm talking about my friend's father, you know, my caregiver, like it was pretty rampant for me. It's like I couldn't run away faster. And the people that I would tell, I remember getting my mouth washed with soap, you know, so I had to leave, I had to avoid. And I think that I know that came about later in life when I was in a very difficult relationship. And then I wound up avoiding. It's not healthy. Doctor, Mm. why is it that we think avoiding is easier but in the end, it's not. It just seems so easy to just, you know, look away. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. I'm, I'm out of here. I'm fucking out of here. I have Bye. $75. I'm, in, I'm going to New York. Who cares? Remind us to come back to the two other categories. Yes. But I think this is a perfect place to, to, for me to talk about why I believe that these traumatic responses are adaptive. Our brains and bodies have the amazing capacity to help keep us alive. So the avoidance is doing that. It's saying there's danger in these places, so don't go there. You know, um, we're just animals, really. If you watch, you know, the Nature Channel and you see a lion chasing a deer, that deer is trained genetically, it's deep in its DNA to avoid the lion. So we are just doing what our heredity is telling us to do, is to keep ourselves safe. Mm-hmm. For me, avoidance, intrusions, all of that. I do not know in my therapy, I do not know why I didn't choose 
drugs or alcohol as a way of escapism. Mm. And I do not know why I didn't choose sex mm. as a way of escapism because I understand that that's pretty prevalent for for women yes. who have experienced what I have. I chose achievement. Mm. I chose work. And that sounds like avoidance too, in a way. Yeah. Yes. That, but it, mm-hmm. it, I think it provided me with positive reinforcement. So at right. least I could build my self-esteem because I was like class president since I was 11 years old. What you see yeah. me is just the same girl, 12, 11 years old, choosing achievement. But wow. I totally get that. And w- mm-hmm. let's talk about this persistent negative thoughts and then the hyper arousal. Yes. yes. So you guys both touched upon blaming oneself, you know, or, or because of the gaslighting, it, we begin to question our own reality our own motivations, our own identity. We lose our identity when we're being actively abused, especially chronically over months or years. So persistent negative thoughts or feelings are one category of uh, the, the sequelae of trauma. First of all, we might have poor memory of the details of the trauma. Some of it gets very murky in our mind. We just might remember aspects of it. We might develop negative thoughts about ourselves, others, or the world in general, like no one can be trusted or the world's dangerous out there. And then we might blame ourselves. Like, why didn't I get out of it earlier? Why didn't I leave? Why am I still here? Or blame others. Why didn't my mom protect me better, etc. Then we get persistently negative moods like fear, anger, shame. And, you know, it can look like chronic irritability, like, oh, that person's very bristly, but mm-hmm. they're just really hurting inside and they're very mm. irritable. Is that why we tend to develop trauma-based conditions and have it manifest in our behavior and how we treat society forward? Fuck, this is so real. Joe Dispenza talks about this. When you access the trauma and you realize your, your mood becomes your personality, becomes your life. It really becomes a personal response and choice to like shift it. But see, this is where I got stuck. Because in that relationship I was in, I was fully eventually aware that this person was a full-blown alcoholic. And my Mm. compassion of understanding where that person's pain was coming from kept me there. Because I couldn't walk away from someone in pain. Well, then that's boundaries, right? And then codependency. Dunk! Hello, codependency award goes to me. Again, again, I think, you know, codependency can be kind of like a labeling term or almost blame the victim term. I come to see codependency as an addiction to helping. Mm. I have that award. (laughs) You win the Oscar, girl. Damn it. Proudly. No, not so proudly. I'm not even sure. But, you know, I start to understand the complexity of it all. It's not simple. It's not black and white. There's so many pieces. And all the people involved, even the folks that you turn to that might support or might not support, they they even have their own judgments and understandings as to what trauma is and how compassionate they can be or not be. It's super complex. Did you find, Nicole, that you had a lot of support when you started talking? Because I did not. For sure I didn't. I had a really core group of people. I'd like to thank Jose Vargas, Liz Casasola, Sid, Freddie Anzuris, um, Susan Burdian. I mean, the names go on because the more I came out to, you know, a handful of friends, I mean, most of all, they just didn't know. I always kept up appearances. So when I started breaking things down as a woman, as an adult, some were flummoxed. 
and some just I just needed to feel like a tap like on like physical like I hear you I feel you and that was good I I didn't at that point I didn't need much more than just am I here like Tommy you know like Mm -hmm. can you hear me can you feel me can you say I'm here I, I want to just highlight the importance of being believed. You know, I think in our culture, specifically Filipino culture, and I hear this time again with my clients, if they tell specifically a parent or a, an elder about the abuse, what usually happens, they usually get slapped in the face or told that it's not real or told to keep quiet about it or don't, don't make waves. Can I add to that? Trouble. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not that my parents didn't believe me. They sure believed me. But once I started to tell them, uh, my mom said, what did you do to make him drink? Mm. And I shut down. Yeah. I stopped telling people anything. Oh, and I was right. in my stage where I'm telling people. Like, I'm telling people. Mm-hmm. Once my own parents didn't come to understand that I was hurting, I was like, fuck it. Then who's going to understand? Who's going to? I mean, if not them. And then I backed away and I was just like kind of... Let it fester. I got very sick from that. That's for sure. Mm. But once I started to understand and I sought active professional therapy about it, and she started to help me just come to terms with things about what was happening to me. Like, oh, you experienced sexual abuse. You experienced this. And I was like, I did as an adult. Is that what that was? And mm. I needed that. So I really encourage anyone who's back and forth, and should I talk to someone? If you're even considering or playing with the thought of talking to a professional, just try it. Try a few. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say, Doc, I don't know what stage I'm in, but now, because I am talking about it more, the validation was very important for me, as you said, just being believed. And now I'm in a place where I can stand in in my own skin, in my Mm -hmm. own eyes and feelings and be grounded, as we did the exercise earlier, and and I can self-validate. I still talk to my Mm -hmm. friends at 2 a.m. in the morning when I need to, but I, I know now what I feel is real. Oh, it's so real. <laughs> and the good stuff, too. Like, when when I fall in love with someone or, or feel something, I don't doubt it, you know? I'm, mm, I'm like, yeah. this is love. Or or if this doesn't feel good, this doesn't feel good, you know? Well, I, I wanted to say that maybe it sounds, I, I can even imagine you coming back into your body. I think part of what happens is trauma. We, we escape out of our body. And, and it's clinically known as dissociation, we check out. I gained 90 pounds, girl. I was Mm. wearing size 22. That's Mm. a checkout. That is a complete irresponsibility to my person. But that was my coping. I I was like, fuck fuck this. Fuck my life. Yeah. Yeah. Been there, experienced, experienced Mm. something that Mm. pretty much had me put on a protective moat so that Mm -hmm. no one could come close to me. And then realizing what is happening and uh, turned it around. But... I couldn't do it until I wanted to do it. So that was another factor. Yeah, I think part of the journey through psychotherapy and self-analysis is reparenting ourselves. Mm. You know, just loving on ourselves the way that we would love an innocent child and just being able to be in our own skin and validate ourselves and and treasure ourselves like Mm. we would an innocent child. That is Um, so beautiful because the piece of... What I did in my self-care after being scarred by, you know, the person who held your hand, who hurt you. Mm. It took a while and I said, I really just don't know what to do. I started to hold my own hand. I know that sounds kind of funny. But I was holding my own hand and I would sit and hold my own hand. Because Mm -hmm. I had to somehow trump that feeling of 
that person holding my hand could hurt me. And I was like, I know I'm not going to hurt me. And it took mm-hmm. me a while, but it was like, it's like soothing. I would pet mm-hmm. my own hand or like literally hold my own hand on the subway, especially when I'd start to feel triggered mm. by something. For years, I would see other men who looked like, mm-hmm. even remotely looked like, or the same height or the same like yeah. stature. And I'd just be like, <gasps> and I couldn't, I couldn't shake it. And I wasn't going to, you know, tell anyone mm-hmm. about it. And here I'm telling mm-hmm. everyone about it, but it, that's what happened. You know, where mm-hmm. do we go from here in starting the healing process or acknowledging that we need healing? wanted to ask you both and kind of maybe guide you through describing what your healing journey looked like. So I'm guessing there was a, a turning point that caused both of you to, to pause and say, hey, something's got to change. So what, what was that for both of you? I mean, I definitely went through my Bridget Jones, Celine Dion, all by myself moment, crying. I mean, there were months on end. I couldn't get out of the house. And then I would put makeup on and then smile. What was the breaking point? It was last year. I don't, I don't know why. I just was done. I, at some point, I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I think I just ran through the course of the seven stages of grief or whatever it is. And then I just started dreaming again. And then mm. really, it seems, I'm not going to say what I was going to say, silly. But I'll say I just started dreaming about Australia Mm. And um, it kept coming up. I kept taking notes whenever the word Australia would come up. And then lo and behold, I think around December, I got a call from two different groups saying, do you want to come to Australia? And then I was in Australia in March of this year with Adam Sachs and um, Silver Sea Cruises and then the Entrepreneurs in um, Melbourne for the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival. And then from there, that was the jump off. I came back. I started doing intermittent fasting. I lost 20 pounds, and then it just kept snowballing. And then I could look at myself in the mirror again. I couldn't look at myself in the, in mm. the mirror for the longest time. And, and now we're in November. It was only March, but again, it was not overnight. But I started seeing the uptick around mm-hmm. March. And therapy and friends and uh, meditation and podcasting. I mean, it, it, there was a series of different choices mm-hmm. mine's a lot more nutty <laughs> realizing that i was having sex with too many strange people and two very very really weird experiences when i realized that these were people who were unwell therefore i am too mm. and i thought okay okay i need to check myself and have one of these relationships with myself where i need to assess what am i doing I am choosing to be in these situations. I've been through so much. I can't overwrite what has happened by, you know, crowding, crowding out the experience with all these new bad stories that I can laugh at now. But that's, that's when it really changed for me. And then I started to also feel like I don't know what to do anymore. And then I turned to myself. I started mm. to listen to myself more from that point on. And that was major for me. So, for example, I think I mentioned this in the previous podcast where if I had thoughts, you know, sometimes your mind goes in like two different places and you can't decide. For me, one of them is going to say my name and say, Cynthia Cherish, you know, you know which one to do. The other one Mm. isn't going to say my name. And I go with the one that says my name. And it has always guided me correctly. Wow. It's really it's become that simple for me. And I don't let the external world convince me of what I need to do if something states my name inside me. 
Yeah, it sounds like you both had this like authentic voice within you mm-hmm. that said, hey, you know, notice this. And then you obeyed that call within you, uh, your higher self telling you which, which step to take, you know, on this road with different paths that you could take. And then you chose the, the authentic road. I look at choices in four different categories, right? It could be very bad for you and also very difficult for you to do. It could be very bad, but easy for you to do. Like hmm. very bad, but you can eat like a pint of ice cream. It's very bad, but very hmm. easy to do. I am right now looking at decisions in front of me that are all always good for me. Sometimes that might be difficult for me to do, as in wake up at 5 a.m. and go to the gym, but it's good for me. It might be that it's really good for me and I'll sleep in another half an hour. But as long as it's always about what's good for me, if it's in front of me, those are the four categories that I look at. I love that because I can so relate to that because the voice that helps me decide what's not good for me always says, oh, don't do yourself dirty. Don't do that. <laughs> you know, you in danger, girl. It's like you in danger. Put that down. Put that down. I mean, wow. we can, let's go over real quickly what you know. You have bullet pointed identity, seeking support, approaching our fears, process integrating, kintsugi pottery, which is the title of this episode, kintsugi, and creating your new normal and shining. Let's, let's go over that, and then we can talk about you know what we've learned from this. Thank you. You you have started to touch. You both have started to touch on all of these. Um, you talked about your your support system. Anything else you all would like to say about how to gather team of support around yourself? It's a it's trial and error. Sometimes you can seek people that either have no interest or are mm. further damaging um, that don't have your best interest. It's a, it's a very fine line. So though I, all I have to say is, if you have good people, keep them close. And my dog. Mm-hmm. My dog was really, mm. <laughs> she was my number one support and my best friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My colleague here at my clinic, shout out to Dr. Heather Nelson, did her uh, dissertation on the power of animals uh, in therapy. And, and if you have, if, you know, you are a human to an animal like a dog or a cat, and the research shows that it can help, it, it does help your mental health and well-being. So there's power in having these loving beings around us. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you both find courage to face what you had been avoiding, including to just talking about the traumas? Wow, great question. I mean, I think I had it in me all the time, but what was overpowering it was, I think, honestly, what I realize now, my strong sense of pity. Because mm. like, when I was in these situations with with folks who are really, they're really struggling, but kind of like you're working with a dog that bites you and you just, <laughs> you just keep letting it bite you. I had so much, you know, misplaced compassion, or I don't know what to call it. Mm. I'm still sorting that out. Because I wouldn't have been and stayed in that if I didn't have some kind of courage to look at that situation, knowing it was kind of disastrous, mm. which is really, really twisted sounding. But it's kind of my personality. I'm not afraid of of helping very, very needing situations. But then I realized like the cost to me. So I balance that now. What about you? Um, I think uh, two things that helped me. You're asking me what my process is, what gave me my courage. I think. um, Yeah. How how did you find courage? Yeah. Part Mm -hmm. of it is your personality. Part of it is, uh, you know, some are, they, 
they won't have it within them. The 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 hope dims. You know, mm. I don't I don't know the clinical or the psychological terms for those when you've reached your your rope's end, which I was in October of 2018. If not for calling my mom, I don't think I'd be here. Um, so different things helped me. Um, suicide hotlines when I didn't have a full time therapist. Reaching out, just I mean. Those kind of things, human uh, connection, either mm-hmm. through anonymity or um, familiarity. Mm-hmm. But at my core, I'm very curious. So mm-hmm. even in my darkest period, even asking the question, why am I here? Why, how did I get here? Is a form of curiosity. And when you ask yourself, it's going to lead you to an answer. And hopefully that answer is going to pull you out. And art, I don't, I can't diminish the impact of art, whether that be music, film, whatever medium, art it can help me transform pain. Absolutely. I just want to share a story um, that might help illustrate this as well. Um, I was going through my own gaslighting at one point in my life, and I turned to Bikram Yoga, which is very intense very hot, about 104 or 106 degrees, um, and then just this very regimented order of yoga. But I felt like I needed something so intense to deal with the intense abuse I was going through, basically. And there's this one posture. Imagine yourself kneeling down, and then you have to bend your head backwards towards your feet. Mm -hmm. The instructor at the time said, this pose, it is about courage. And courage means feeling fear, but doing what is right anyway. Mm. And when I first heard that and I did it, I actually started bawling shortly afterwards. And I realized, oh, my mother, uh, my mother had some lumps in her breast at, at that time. And I realized I was afraid to lose her. And, and just doing that posture opened up all the fear I was holding in my chest around what would it mean if my mother had something in her breast. I think you're both describing this courage and seeing something that you were afraid of, but that doing what was right anyway. Is that part of processing and then integrating? Well, I think it's like that turning point, right? You you both hit like this rock bottom, the quintessential rock bottom, this dark place. And you're like, yo, I need to get out of here. Mm-hmm. And then um, you sought support. And then just the process of... Um, talking about the trauma, sorting it out, unpacking, and actually grieving. I see all of the emotions that we have as gifts, right? You both talked about anger. And anger is a gift that tells us when there's been a violation or an injustice. Hmm. So that was a gift to let you know this is wrong and I need to get out of this. I see that gift as being knowledge also. My limitations, my boundary issues, all of that, and it all mm-hmm. leads to then that kind of kintsugi concept then of that which made me broken, I can put myself together and honor those lines and scars as something beautiful and part of my history. I think one of the things for me in, in embracing the, the, the bruises and what we might think is not beautiful, but in Kintsugi, it's the idea that these broken pieces of pottery are put back together with 
liquid gold. So it can even be more beautiful in its, in its wholeness and being put back together. What I am so proud of myself right now is that I'm not scared of being vulnerable. For a moment I was, like, because the fear of being pummeled. But because I'm taking 100% responsibility for my life, it also means, like, putting myself out there. That means dating again, <laughs> you know, all of that. It, it scares me a little bit, but putting myself out there is just, like, uh, facing fear because it's going to be better for me in the long run. Well, that sounds like mm-hmm. you creating your new normal and shining, which <laughs> is where we end up should we process the experience properly, correct? Yeah, I think while I never wish trauma on anyone, it does make us stronger. You know, like being put together with liquid gold, you can imagine how strong the pottery is now. Oftentimes people come to me, they're like, just make the trauma disappear. And I'm like, no, I I can't delete it out of your, your experience. But we can step back and look at the integrated piece now and appreciate its beauty. Yeah, I just... uh I'm reminded of a conversation I had with someone just the other day who's gone through his own experiences. He's well adjusted with it. There's no sense of not wanting it to be there. But I just found him that much more beautiful because of it and Mm, because he could access it and relate it. That's what I like about humans the most is when we can talk about all of it. I have been to Japan and actually held ceramic ware that has kintsugi work done on it. And it really is very special it's very emotional. It triggered me a lot when I was in Tokyo mm. last year holding in, in restaurants because you don't throw it away because it's cracked. You just make it more beautiful. Yeah. And I was holding it and I was like, this is my life right here, you know? Mm. Wow. And it was really, really special. And I'm sure that folks who are listening can relate on some level. Dr. Celestial, how do we reach you or find you on social media? You may find me at Celestial PhD. That's C E. L-E-S-T-I-A-L-P-H-D, and also on our Facebook for our Filipino Instant Pot Cookbook. It is facebook.com Filipino Instant Pot Cookbook. I have been working on a project with five other Filipinos and Filipino Americans, which is to translate our family recipes for the modern-day Instant Pot. Mm. And we uh, developed the Filipino Instant Pot Cookbook. And I found in that process just decolonization through writing this book. And I did want to thank Nicole and the other pioneers who paved the way for books like ours to be on the market. And I know I had I Am Filipino next Mm. to me during the months that we were writing this book. And its presence there gave me power. Amazing. See, see, Nicole, your book. It's got legs. (laughs) Thank you. What, Nicole, have you learned today? I mean, in wanting to end on the concept of post-traumatic growth and gains, what is your take-home message for today or a phrase from today that sticks for you? Because for me, shame has a purpose. That's the one that landed with me. I'm going to be thinking about that for a while. Any concept that you feel like, huh? I think I can't predict the future. I'm very exuberant about my present and what's possible. If I've been able to do what I've done so far, I'm really excited what I can do with some form of enlightenment now. And um, it'll just prove itself, whatever it is, in the the next months, weeks, years, 
what's next for me is that um, I'm excited to embrace all of it. What's one word of intention you'd like to set for yourself then? I'm dumbfounded by that question. What is a word of intention that I'd like to set out for myself? Yeah. You go first, please. Lighter. Oh, lighter. Doc, what about you? Do you have a word of intention for yourself going Mm. forward? Yeah, I I think shine. My Filipino-American mental health group here at my clinic, I call it shine. We have a little code system that when we book it into the computer, and I I just chose the the word shine because it's like the story in The Alchemist, uh, the fable by Paulo Coelho. There's a part where... Uh, the little shepherd boy goes into the crystal shop that, that's not making much money because all of the crystal is dusty. And he just goes around and shines all the crystal and people can see its beauty and they come into the shop because they're drawn to its beauty. And I, I, I myself am, am in my 40s too and I'm just coming into my own and I want to shine. Um, and so I think our cookbook is part of that, but also... Other projects, like just even being on this podcast with you all today, is just allowing myself to shine. Now you have to find a word, Nicole. Okay. (laughs) Um, I think, um, thank you for both of your words. I think my word for 2020 and beyond is um, a magnet. Magnet. Mm. Magnetized or magnet? I'm a magnet. You're a magnet. Okay. But... Intentions magnet for what? I'm a super attractor of positive magneticism. I just wanted to make that clear. Yeah, <laughs> we got to we got to put um, some wraps around that. Yeah, I'm a I'm a, an attractor of positive magnetism. So, wow. Doc, do you have any closing advice for folks like us? You helped us so much unpack and just think about our experiences and just verbalize it. It's so important. Yeah. Well, first of all, definitely like you you preach on your show. You know, think about your primary foods and what's around you, what, what floats your boat, what gives you passion, and um, multiply that. So do what you're already doing that gives you strength. And then if you are struggling or you face any type of trauma or abuse, please get some support. Don't deprive yourself of that, whether it's because of shame or secrecy. Please just tell one safe person and then maybe tell more safe people. Get support, whether professionally, spiritually, and whatever else way that you can to help process and heal and love yourself. Can we say that one more time? Because that was very important. Don't deprive yourself of support. I would really encourage folks, if you notice that you are struggling, if you notice that you're in pain, if you notice that you're being gaslighted or traumatized, just pause and notice it and give yourself permission to get some help. Give yourself permission to get support. You don't need to be a martyr for this. You can get out of this. Give yourself permission to tell one safe person and then tell another safe person until you feel that you have a protective group of people around you who are going to walk alongside you out of this trauma. It's so beautiful. Don't deprive yourself of support. Nicole, any closing thoughts? Gratitude and joy. I'm really, uh, I'm so excited for the new year. And um, it's, uh, it's wide open. It's fantastic. Thank you so much, Nicole Ponseca, Dr. Jeannie Celestial, Thank for you. joining us on today's episode of Primary Food. 
You've been listening to Primary Food on Heritage Radio Network. Go to heritageradionetwork.org to become part of the familia and support podcasts like this. We so need you. And if you're in the New York City area, go have some dinner at Jeepney and Maharlika and then hop on a plane for dessert to L.A. or Vegas for some Cafe 86 with our girl Ginger Limdimapasuk. Salamat, everyone. See you in the next episode of Primary Food. But till then, go check out our last four seasons and the part one of this episode, Girl Ube Killing It. Peace, love, ube, adobo. And may you get 100 score at your next karaoke session. Bye. Wow, thanks, guys. Hi, this is Nicole Panseca, and I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode. I'd also like to thank DJ Cherish for having me back on her show, Primary Food, and for Dr. Jeannie for joining us and talking about mental health and trauma. Now, at the end of this episode, I felt very vulnerable. I felt overexposed and raw. I questioned whether or not it was even the right decision to be sharing any of this. And did I say the right thing? After talking to Dr. Jeannie, I know now it's for the best. As a woman of color and as a survivor of abuse, starting in my childhood, continuing through my adult life, I felt very alone. It's because I started sharing my experience, seeking mental health and asking for help that I got through it. Correction, that I'm getting through it. I still have my days. I still have trigger moments. And uh, some days I don't ever think about it. But if I hadn't sought the help, I don't know what would have happened. Now, Dr. Jeannie is going to share some options for you for help should you need it. And I hope from listening to this episode, you find comfort. And if anything, I hope you have a little bit more compassion for your fellow human. Maraming salamat. The content of this podcast may have brought up difficult emotions. If you're experiencing a medical or psychiatric emergency, please call 911 or go to your nearest emergency department. If you're in emotional distress or having thoughts of hurting yourself or someone else, you may call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline which also supports veterans and non-veterans at 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-8255. If you're experiencing intimate partner violence or abuse or have questions about an unhealthy aspect of a relationship, please call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. That's 1-800-799-7233. Not everyone who experiences trauma develops post-traumatic stress disorder, but one may have traumatic reactions like intrusions, avoidance, persistent negative thoughts or feelings, or hyperarousal, that is, constantly being on alert or feeling jittery. These symptoms may warrant care and treatment. Pay attention to your mind and body. Have compassion for yourself and know you're not alone. 
There are professionals who are available to support and guide you. Have courage, reach out, seek support. Your safety is a priority, and we hope that listening to this podcast today will help raise awareness of important issues affecting millions of people in the world. We hope this podcast will help reduce and prevent violence and heal hearts and minds. May you continue to choose the primary foods in your life that bring you joy and nurture your authentic selves. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. This program is powered by Simplecast.